Yo, what's really going on? This is your boy, A1 Hoops, tapping into your notification feed with the next episode of the podcast. This is actually episode 50. Would you believe that? <laughs> now, let's go ahead and get straight into it. Hope you guys are having a great Monday. Um, and with that, Without further ado, let's just go ahead and start talking hoop. Now, the first thing I want to discuss is James Harden. Now, it's almost like we've forgotten how good James Harden is. And it's, it's kind of weird to say that because, yeah, he's still a great facilitator, still an excellent playmaker, a great shooter. But we haven't seen the real James Harden in a very long time. And um, prior to tonight's game against the Miami Heat, which was game four, um, he had went like, what, almost 20 games in a row without cracking over 25 points. Now, I'm old enough to remember that 2017 through 2020 James Harden, when he was averaging like 36 for a season, when he was averaging 34 for a season, when he was averaging 30 points per game for a season, and he was simply just going on tears, 30-point streaks, you know, uh, streaks that Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant didn't even attain. I believe he had a 30-point, he had a 30-game, 30-point stretch, and it's like, that was the James Harden we used to see on a regular basis. So last night for James Harden in a, and I guess a must-win game because the Sixers were down 2-1 to one against Miami in the series. We saw James Harden drop 30, what was it, 37-8, and eight, 30 points, 7 boards, and 8 assists, something like that. And people celebrated it as if it was like the NBA Finals. <laughs> we saw people, you know, cheer on James Harden as if, like, this is something that he's never done before. And I guess, you know, as a fan of James Harden, if you're a fan of James Harden, I'm not saying I am or not, but if you're a fan of James Harden, I guess it was kind of refreshing to see that because that's a James Harden that we didn't get to see in a long time. Now, granted, he only took 18 shots, so it ain't like he went out there and just, you know, took on the entire scoring load all by himself, but he played an excellent game. He did a great job of passing the ball, especially in the first two quarters of the game, and then in the second half, he pretty much just came on as far as scoring the basketball. Um, a few threes here and there, things like that, but... um. All in all, I think it's safe to say that James Harden is simply just declining. This isn't James Harden is never going to be what he was in Houston ever again, um, and it's kind of sad to see that because even if you're a fan of him or not, you still love as a real basketball fan. You still love to watch him play basketball. You love to watch him go to work, and over those years particularly, so to see him not be able to do that anymore on a nightly basis, it's kind of one less place that you get to see great basketball from. Still good basketball, but. It's just an area of, you know, the basketball world that you're not going to get as much entertainment as you used to. And that's what happens when players age, you know. LeBron is one day going to be finished. We saw that with Kobe as he aged, you know, rest his soul. Um, Michael Jordan as he got older. Once these players start to decline, it's kind of a sad sight because you used to look to them for entertainment. I mean, that's what basketball is at the end of the day. It's so that way we can watch and enjoy, you know, the barbershop talk, the barbershop, the barbershop talks things of that nature, that is something that isn't really going to happen a lot with James Harden anymore because he's clearly under the decline. The last of James Harden, in my eyes, that was actually real James Harden, which is so, so which is very strange to say, was probably when he first got to Brooklyn. Um, I'm pretty sure you guys recall, you know, that February, March, James Harden, when KD was out um, back in 20, the 2020-2021 season. He was going off. I mean, he was putting up, you know, 30 points, 11 assists, 30 points, 35 points, 15 assists. Uh, he had one game against the Suns that he completely just obliterated. I believe he had, like, a 37-point triple-double, something like that. 
And that was probably the last of the real James Harden that we got to see. Um, coming into those 2021 playoffs, he hurt his hamstring. And it was pretty much downhill since then. Um, he had a 30-point game against the Celtics in that round one. And after he popped that hammy, it was pretty much downhill from there. So, I mean, all in all, it's pretty sad to see. Um, he is gaining a little bit of weight. He's clearly not in the best shape. His step back is no longer there like it used to be. We're so used to seeing James Harden, you know, pat the ball between the legs, step back, raise up. And it was pretty much money every time. But now when he does that, you know, he's he's patting the ball. And when he jumps back for that step back jumper, he does, he's not creating as much space as he used to. And even when him simply just trying to get by defenders, he doesn't have that burst of speed and that first step that he used to have in, like he did back in his Houston days. So it's really just sad to see. He's still a very productive player. Don't get me wrong. I mean, putting up 22 and 11 or 20 and 15 on any given night is more than appreciated and, and it's more than enough. Trust me. Don't get it. Don't get me twisted. Like that's a great, you know, productive player. But it's just not the same as what we, what we used to get. Um, pretty much Luca. Luca's pretty much the new James Harden. I mean, he out here putting up 35 and 11 every given night. So, I mean, it's just sad to see. But um, he will be remembered as one of the very best scorers ever. I'm not talking. I'm over here talking about James Harden. Like he about to retire or something. He's only 32. <laughs> but uh, he's just not the same James Harden that we're so used to. And a lot of that has to do with conditioning. You know, when you look at somebody like LeBron or Kobe Bryant or even Michael Jordan, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of being unfair by comparing him to like three of the best players ever. I understand that. But those three really put an emphasis on taking care of their bodies, making sure that they were operating at peak capacity season in and season out. And that's just pretty much something that we haven't seen from James Harden in his career. I mean, obviously, he showed up in Brooklyn. And to start off that 2020-2021 season in Houston, he was very out of shape. And he kind of played himself into shape. But even now, he's still not really in the best of shape. Um, and that's just, uh, he's a test, he's a living testament to how much you really should take care of your body because it doesn't matter how good you are. Once that athleticism starts to wane and you haven't really taken care of your body, it's going to be hard for you to really be productive as a scorer. Now, next up, moving on from James Harden, let's talk about somebody he used to be teammates with on two separate occasions. If you don't know who I'm talking about, it's obviously Kevin Durant. Now, now that that series is over, um, he got swept, he played pathetic basketball, I think we need to put Kevin Durant's career into a little bit of perspective. Now, I was kind of a, a lone warrior on a horse here or a lone person on an island when I used to make the claim that, honestly, Kevin Durant is not the best playoff performer. I actually feel like he's a bit of a playoff dropper. And what I mean by that is he doesn't normally play as well in the playoffs as he does in the regular season. And when I used to say that, a lot of people gave me a lot of crap. They would say, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. They would show, you know, 2017, 2018, 2019 playoff series. And I don't think people really understand, like, what you're doing when you bring up those three years as an example or an argument to back the narrative that you believe Kevin Durant is a great playoff performer. And the reason I say that is because in those three seasons or three postseasons, Kevin Durant had the luxury of having the very best spacing in NBA history. And that is not hyperbole whatsoever. He had Steph Curry as as the second best player on the team, quote unquote. I'm not here to debate that. That's just let's say for the sake of argument, let's just say Steph was the second best. Steph is the best shooter in NBA history. Right? The third best player on the team, quote unquote, because some people feel like it might be Draymond, was Klay Thompson. 
for the sake of argument, let's just say it was Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson is like what the sixth, seventh best shooter ever. Some people say he's probably top five, top four. So when you have that much spacing, when you have the defense kind of divided, and the, 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 the when you have the defensive attention divided between Steph and Clay, you're pretty much operating at 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 peak conditions. Like that's the best conditions for you to operate, especially if you're primarily an ISO scorer. You're not drawing a lot of double teams because you're dumb as hell <laughs> to leave Steph open or not doubled at all times um, with the type of gravity and spacing that he provides. So given the fact that that's what KD had to work with in those three seasons, of course he's going to dominate. He's not seeing the type of defensive attention that he would have seen, let's say, I don't know, these playoffs when his only real help was Kyrie Irving. And aside from that, you had zero spacing. Bruce Brown is not a shooter. Uh, Andre Drummond not a shooter. Nick Claxton came and hit free throws. Joe Harris wasn't even playing. So when you have just him and Kyrie against arguably one of the very best defensive teams in the league, um, you get to see what KD is really made of. And now I'm not going to use that own, that one playoff series to say what he's made of because you can never judge a player off one playoff series like LeBron haters like to do for his 2011 finals performance. But we've seen this before. Think back to the 2013 playoffs in the second round when Kevin Durant went up against the Memphis Grizzlies. Now, yeah, he was down Russell Westbrook. He only had Reggie Jackson and Serge Ibaka as his help, but he played pathetically in that series, and they got gentlemen swept. Um, And it was kind of a similar situation. He went up against an elite defensive team. Um, The defense pretty much just focused on him, and he played piss poor. But the reason why I'm not letting that slide is because this man is this, he's supposed to be 6'11". He's supposed to be seven feet tall. He's supposed to be unguardable, unstoppable. That's what all Kevin Durant stands will tell you about him. And they'll use that as a reason why he's a better scorer than someone like Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan. And that to that, I would disheartedly, I completely disagree with that. And that's, that 2013 is not even the only time. We saw in 2010, granted he was very young, but he was actually the scoring champion of that season. He averaged 30 points per game. And in that first-round playoff series against the Lakers, he played piss poor. He put up, like, what, 22 points per game on, like, 40% shooting. Um, and there's a history of this. We've seen that many, many times. We saw that, um, you know, games 5 through 7 against the Warriors in 2016. He played piss poorly. We've seen him play bad against the Grizzlies before. We've seen him kind of just play in, in a way that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, in those first two games against the Clippers back in 2019, in 2019 when he had Steph and Clay. He played piss poor in those first two games. Um, he was being bothered, quote-unquote, by Patrick Beverly, which, I mean, come on now, it's Kevin Durant. We know what it is. But the fact that that even happened says a lot. We've seen Chris Paul give him fits in a playoff game before. So my, I say all that to say this. When Kevin Durant doesn't have optimal conditions, and what I mean by optimal, I mean Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, he can be bothered by a great defensive team. We have seen this before. And when people say, you know what, he's seven feet, he's unstoppable, you need to be unstoppable in those not perfect circumstances because not every player has had the luxury of playing against a step, of playing alongside a Steph and a Clay Thompson. We've never seen Kobe Bryant play with the spacing that KD has had. We've never, we've never seen Michael Jordan play with the spacing that KD's had. Yet they were still able to dominate. Why? Because they're not afraid of the physicality. They're beefier and you know thicker paws than Kevin Durant is. They enjoy the physical contact. We've seen Kobe Bryant in many interviews 
uh, discussed how much he loves that physicality. He loves physical basketball, and he's not a fan of the finesse and in the in the you know the soft foul touches that are primarily in today's game. We've seen him talk about these things before, so that alone, I mean, not that's not the only reason, but that's a big reason to me why I don't think KD can stack up to those two as far as scoring the basketball. KD's one of the best scorers ever. Don't get it twisted. But to say he's on their level, I think, is just completely ludicrous. Um, he doesn't – and another thing I noticed, too, is that in that series against Boston, he was real, real timid. There was never a point in that series when they got swept. Um, it, what was it, like, what, two, three weeks ago now? There was never a point in that series where KD was like, you know what, I'm about to take over this game. And I know, you know, some people are stat nerds. Nothing wrong with that. Some people, you know, they kind of just care only about the numbers. They don't really look at the the human element of this. But as a basketball fan, when you're watching some of the best players in the world compete, you want to see your favorite player go into, like, a takeover mode. Like, you know what? I'm Kevin Durant. Like, you know, let me go ahead and take over this game right quick because my team is on the back. and I need to make sure that, you know, that we, we at least compete. Um, he didn't play, what, he played not one single good game against this Boston Celtics team. In the fourth quarter, he was, put, he was taking, like, two, three shots. Like, are you serious? One thing, I, and, and I hate to keep bringing, bringing up Kobe or, or MJ because every great player in NBA history has had a stoinker or they've coming up short before. But for the most part, not always, because obviously Kobe's no perfect player either and there's no such thing as a perfect player. But for the most part, Kobe at least went out shooting. Even if he was bricking, he was trying. Yeah, 2006, Game 7, he refused to shoot. Okay, aside from that, even when against Utah very early in his career, he shot three back-to-back air balls. But he still shot them, though. You know, you got to give him credit for the fact that he wasn't afraid to take the shots. And it seemed like, I don't want to say KD was scared, but he was just very timid, very, very timid. And he didn't look like he wanted the moment. Um, and ultimately, that led to the demise of the Brooklyn Nets. That's not the only thing. Obviously, there's a coaching issue. Very huge coaching issue. Steve Nash should... I I don't know why we haven't heard the news that he's been fired yet, but he should have been fired last week. (laughs) But all in all, I mean, when you're the best... When you're supposedly one of the best players in the world, supposedly one of the best scorers in NBA history, the the, the performance that KD put up was simply just unacceptable. Now, up next, let's go ahead and talk about John Morant. And by let's, I mean me, because it's just me on here. (laughs) Surprise. Um, Let's talk about John Morant and the Memphis Grizzlies. They are now down 2-1 to the Golden State Warriors. Um, Ja may or may not play in Game 4 because of that Jordan Poole incident where man's basically, they were fighting for a loose ball. My man's basically grabbed his knee, and now they're saying it's real sore. We're going to see if he plays or not, but it's looking doubtful. Hopefully he plays, though. Um, I feel, let's put let's put a few things into perspective. Let's be, let's be a 100% real on Ja Morant. The man is only 22 years old, okay? He's 22. He's already doing things that as that superstars do, okay? He's already won Rookie of the Year. He's, already, he's won Most Improved Player of the Year in Year 3 as somebody who was supposed to be, like, a superstar. He's, he's won Most Improved Player of the Year, as if we didn't see this coming. <laughs> that's kind of ridiculous when you think about it, but that's exactly what the case is. In the regular season... John Moran, let me pull up these stats right quick because I feel like maybe you guys might be out of touch and you guys just don't really understand. In the regular season, John Moran averaged 27.4 points per game, which is like top eight in the entire in the entire league. 6.7 assists, 5.7 boards, right? 
That's what he averaged for the entire regular season. And in playoffs, 27.1 points per game, 9.8 assists, which leads the league, 8 boards. He's averaging damn near a triple-double at 6'3". Um, the free throw percentage, he's shooting about 75%. That needs to get up. Three-point percentage, he's actually not shooting horrible. He's shooting about 34 35% on like almost six attempts. Here's my point about John Morant. The man is only 22, and he's already playing like a superstar. He's led his team to the second round of the playoffs. Yeah, in, the, in round one against Minnesota, it was shaky. You know, he had a good game here, bad game here. But he's played excellent against his Warriors team. Excellent. What he did in game two to drop 47 points and basically hit the game winner when he drove in and hit that floater over, I believe, Clay Thompson. The man is 22 years old. Like, I cannot get over that. And he, he has so much more room to grow as a basketball player. He's still real limited in terms of shooting the basketball. He can hit a three-pointer, and he can heat up real easily. I would say he's probably already a better jump shooter than Derrick Rose or Russell Westbrook ever were. A bit more consistent than they ever were. But when it comes to the mid-range, outside of his floater, John Morant is lacking a mid-range game. There are times when he's literally wide open near the free throw line for like a mid-range jump shot, like an actual jump shot, and he's very reluctant to take it. And I think that's something that needs to change. I feel like if you were to be more of a threat from the mid-range as far as a jump shooting or a jump shooter, I believe that would open up a lot of opportunities for his teammates to score, you know, for back cuts, for things of that nature. Because whenever Jock gets into the mid-range, we see the defense is kind of back off a little bit, anticipating a floater or just a complete drive to the basket. Um, so him adding in a mid-range would force the defense to come up and would open up lanes for more passes and opportunities to create for his teammates to score the ball. Um, but even, even with that being said, I mean, he's gotten better at shooting the three ball every single year in his rookie season. He was shooting about 33% from the three point line on only two attempts. And, you know, his main criticism during his rookie season was that he was so reluctant to just shoot the ball. You know, we see the defense literally sag all the way off of him and he would still just not shoot the ball. And his next season, he did drop is for in terms of percentage. He dropped down to about 30% on a dot. However, his attempts went up to almost four. So he was a little bit less reluctant. He was hitting less of them, but at least he was less reluctant. He was making the defense at least respect him from out there because he was actually attempting more. And then last season, the season that just passed, he's up to 4.5, and he's shooting about 35% from three. So he's attempting a little bit more, and his percentages have actually gone up along with the attempts, which is a good sign of somebody who's growing as a three-point shooter. And in these playoffs, he's shooting about six a game and hitting about 35% as well. So all these things are good. Why? Because Jaws' game is predicated on getting to the basket, finishing at the cup with dunks, you know, crazy acrobatic layups with either hand, and using that speed and first quick step. Now, what, what shooting the ball does for his game is it, allow, it, makes, it forces the defense – to push up on him. The defense has to go out there and respect his sh his shooting because he will shoot the basketball. So the less reluctant he gets, the more the defense has to come up on him, the easier it gets for him to get to the basket. I mean, that's just common sense, right? But not only that, because the defense has to come up on him more often, that also, once again, increases his ability to play make and create for his teammates because now that the defense is more focused on him from out there, it, open up, it opens up cutting, backdoor, um, you know, people just moving around without the ball to get open. And because the defense is so less condensed because they had to respect his jump shot, 
it opened it opens up a lot more passing opportunities. So these are things that are just going to continue to grow for Jaw. But all in all, what what we've seen from Jaw in these playoffs, especially against the Warriors, who are arguably the better team. I mean, yeah, record wise, the Grizzlies had the better record, but we know. Come on now, the Warriors are a better team. Um, he's been nothing short of sensational. He's the only player, in, um, I believe, one of only three players to have ever put up 30 points in three consecutive playoff games while also having at least three steals. Um, that hasn't happened. Only three players have ever done that. So that's, you know, shout out to him for that. Um, but he just played excellent basketball against his Warriors team, and he's not afraid of the moment at all. He's not afraid. He's doing what he needs to do. He's playing his heart out against his basketball team. And even though they got blown the hell out, he was playing his absolute best basketball. He was hitting three-pointers. He was getting to the cup. He was doing everything he could. Unfortunately, his team, however, just didn't come along for the ride, which brings me to the rest of the Grizzlies. Desmond Bain needs to get it together. Desmond Bain in this series against the Warriors particularly has done absolutely nothing. We know that he's suffering a bit from, I guess it's a back injury. Correct me if I'm wrong. But um, he's been absolute trash. He needs to come along for the ride more often. Jaron Jackson Jr., um, he's probably the most inconsistent player like in the league in a good way, but also a bad way. And what I mean by that is if JJJ is missing, then he's missing all night. But if he's hitting, he's hitting all night. Like, it's kind of a, a weird, kind of like J.R. Smith back in his Cleveland days when he was actually a contributor. Um, he's just either all the way on or he's all the way off. There's no room in between. Um, Zaire Williamson is a, is a very valid contributor to the team as well. You got people like Brandon Clark, uh, Melton, Tyus Jones, who was pretty, didn't really do a whole lot in Game 3. The team is real solid, but defensively they were just atrocious against the Golden State Warriors. I um, mean, that game three, and that's pretty much why they got blown the hell out. They really couldn't stop anybody at all. The The offense that the Golden State Warriors are running, they were just running circles around the Memphis Grizzlies, so they got to get it together in a big way, or this series is pretty much over. However, I said from the jump that the Warriors would win in six. I do believe this, go- this Grizzlies team is the real deal, and I think they're going to be a threat for years to come. But they are still young, and they have to lose. You have to fall down before you get up. You have to fall down before you start to climb that mountain. Every great team has been through that. Um, the Chicago Bulls in the 80s in, in 1990, you know, they got their ass kicked. And then, boom, they wanted to be one of the best teams ever. The Golden State Warriors, they lost 3-1 in the NBA Finals. Got KD. Okay. But then they bounced back. It happens to the best of them. You know, Kobe Bryant and the Lakers, 06, 07, 08, you know, bounced in the first round, bounced in the first round, lost in the NBA Finals. You have to get down to get up is basically what I'm saying. So the Memphis Grizzlies are definitely going to be here for a while, but they just have to get this ass whooping first, Warriors and Six. Um, And that's pretty much where that goes. (laughs) Now, lastly, let's talk about Nikola Jokic. Now, you might be wondering, if you live under a rock, hey, yo, why are you talking about Nikola Jokic? He at the crib. Um, He just won MVP. For the second time in a row. And there's very mixed feelings about it. People feel like because he's at the crib in the first round, he shouldn't win MVP. Um, nobody said that at all, by the way, when Russell Westbrook won MVP. No one said that, like, oh, Russ didn't deserve it. And ironically, they were about the same seed. I believe they were both the sixth seed in the playoff. I mean, the sixth seed in the in the conference, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um but yeah, when Russ won MVP for doing about the same thing Jokic just did, which was drag a god-awful team that would literally be lottery-bound without him to the playoffs 
and they actually won a game off the Golden State Warriors. So, for some weird reason, I think we do it just because he's white. I mean, it's kind of like opposite racism. Like, because you know how, like, in the real world, you know, blacks and Hispanics are kind of, like, discriminated against, you know. That's just, I'm not I'm not here to, like, make some woke conspiracy thing. I'm just saying, like, you know, Latinos and, and African Americans are kind of seen by racists as less than white people. Not by every white person. I'm saying by racists specifically. But in basketball, it's almost like the opposite. It's kind of like white people are discriminated against for being white at this point in basketball. I hope I'm saying that right. But long story short, we didn't give that, that same excuse to Russell Westbrook. He played amazing basketball. He had an historic season. He dragged his team that would definitely be had been lottery bound to a playoff spot. Nikola Jokic, same thing. No Jamal Murray. Um, no um, Porter Jr. And the team was excellent. One of the best offensive teams in the league. He improved his defense. He's one of the best three-level scorers in the NBA as a big um, elite at the free throw line, elite three-point shooter. He's elite in the post and scoring down low around the basket. I mean, he literally does everything well. He passes the ball as the probably the best passing big man ever, one of the best passers ever, and he averaged damn near a triple-double. And when, when he was on the bench, his teams fell apart. Like, there was nothing going on at all. He was pretty much the focal point of the entire Denver Nuggets organization. So to say that he didn't deserve MVP, which is what people like Nick Wright are doing, um, is honestly insane. I mean, his his argument is, oh, yeah, uh, back-to-back MVPs are reserved for people who are actually good. And then he brought up Kareem, as if Kareem didn't win an MVP award at the crib while missing the playoffs. Like, my man decided to pick up his MVP award at, like, Walmart or something. So <laughs> so to say, to use these same arguments against Nikola Jokic is, is completely ludicrous. But this kind of brings me to my main point, how I feel about accolades in general. I used to be a person who thought accolades mattered. Um, media voted awards mattered when comparing players. But this right here is kind of why I'm not a huge fan of doing that. And by the way, I do believe Nicole Jokic deserved the MVP. But what I'm saying is I don't believe accolades is how you judge who's better than who. Because if that's the case, is Nicole Jokic, is Nicole Jokic better than Kobe Bryant who only had one? No, that's like the most asinine thing to ever say. So this whole talk about the MVP... For me, I mean, Nick Wright said, oh, MVPs don't matter to him anymore. That's how I've always felt. But to try to discredit Nikola Jokic and to say he wasn't MVP worthy, that's simply ludicrous. He's literally the best offensive player in the league, at least one of the very best. He's literally generational and revolutionary at the center position in the way that he plays basketball. Because offensively, there is no weak point. He can post. He can hit the mid-range jump shot. He can get to the free throw line. He hits his free throws, his one dribble pull up. Now nah, I'm messing with you. His three point shooting is very good, well above average for any center. And he's actually taken step, some steps forward defensively. His court coverage, his his defensive awareness. I mean, he's not some elite defender like Rudy Gobert. Please don't get it twisted. But he's improved, and he dragged his team to a sixth seed as a center. Usually, centers can't do that on their own. Need a wing. Need a point guard. Point guards and wings usually carry teams to wins but he's doing this at the center position i mean it, it's just nothing short of sensational and for you know people to sit here and discredit or wonder why nicole Jokic won mvp but didn't do the same thing for russ is is a weird double center that we have congratulations to Nikola Jokic, and that's pretty much all i have for you guys today that was the episode hope you guys enjoyed it 
Um, make sure you guys are following me on Twitter at A1Hoot so we can discuss more basketball. And with that being said, God bless. I love you all. Have a good one.